Hey, good morning. Glad that you are here. Glad you're joining us with us today at uh, Bay Area or wherever you might be. I appreciate uh, that challenge issued by Dave. I'm looking forward to hear how that turned out for you as well. I've got a feeling at the church meeting on Todd Place in Plant City that singing it around this morning was a disaster, but I hope that I'm wrong. But uh, man, our our singers really put in a lot of time and effort, and uh, I appreciate all the work that they do as well as everybody. And I got to tell you, this past week, I have been blown away by the reaction and the response that you all have given as far as posting pictures of someone you can't wait to see when we get back together. And it's been really encouraging to see that. But I got to tell you, what I've enjoyed most about that is seeing you. Seeing the people that are actually holding the sign is what has been most encouraging to me, and so many people have done that. And um, I've got a challenge for you next week, but you're going to have to kind of figure it out on your own. Next Sunday's Mother's Day. And my challenge is sometime this week on our BACC members page or whatever on Facebook, wherever you want to post it, post a picture of maybe you and your mom, maybe you and your children. Maybe it's not your biological mother, maybe just a mother that's meant a lot, or a woman that's meant a lot to you over the years. But just use your own creativity, post it however you want to post it, whatever kind of picture you want to post, but something, a picture of something that honors either your mother, a grandmother, just a really special woman in your life. You know, we're all, we're all creating a legacy, and all of us, to some extent, have been blessed, have been a recipient of someone else's pouring into us. So that's your challenge for this week, in honor of Mother's Day. Uh, a picture or maybe a poem, maybe a note, just use your own creativity to honor someone, a special woman uh, in your life. Okay, there you go. Back in the 1960s, NASA took some astronaut trainees out into the desert in Arizona. They wanted to, uh uh-oh, I'm falling apart here. I'm back. They wanted to simulate uh, conditions on the moon before they actually sent men to the moon, places where the terrain was rocky and rough, places where they could practice wearing their spacesuit and performing tasks. So out in the desert of Arizona, these men are walking around in spacesuits trying to do some things, and an elderly Apache Indian, along with his grandson, comes up and sees what's going on. The older Indian didn't, talk any, didn't speak any English, so he asks his son to inquire about what's going on. His son inquires about what these men in these strange, funny suits are doing, and he's told, we are representing the United States of America government. We are on a very special mission. We are headed to the moon. The grandson told his grandfather that, and when his grandfather heard that, he immediately took out a pencil and paper and wrote a note, gave it to his grandson. The grandson gave it to the representative and said, my grandfather wants you to take this message to the moon. But it was written in his native tongue, and the representative said, I can't read this. Could you interpret it for me? And the young boy looks at it and says, yeah, I could translate it, but I'm not going to. But it's really important you take this note to the moon. 
Well, the government official went to town that night, and he found some other Native Americans. And he said, listen, we were out working on, on practicing in our spacesuits out in the desert here, and an older Indian gentleman came up and handed him this note, but we don't know what it says. Could you interpret it for us? And everyone he handed it to read the note and said, I could translate this for you, but I'm not going to. But it's really important that you take this to the moon. Well, the guy goes back to Washington, D.C., it's still bothering him, so he gets in touch with the State Department. He said, while we were out in the desert, this elderly Indian gentleman came up, and he handed us a note, and he was just adamant that we take this note with us to the moon, but none of us knows what the note says. So they bring in a uh, Native American expert, and they hand him the note, and they say, this old guy gave us this in the desert, and he's, just, he's making sure that we promise that we take it to the moon. What does it say? Can you tell us? And the expert looked at the note, and he said, uh, yeah, I can tell you what it says. It says, don't trust these guys. They're going to take your land. <laughs> this morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about trust. And actually, the lame joke that I just told is going to set up my thoughts, because I want to talk about somebody who's told to go to a place he's never been before, and he's told once he gets there, take the land. We're going back to the Old Testament this morning. And I want to look at an instance in the life of Moses. You know, if we're going to talk about trust, really, who better to talk about than Moses? Moses was a first ballot Hall of Fame Bible guy. Only one person in Bible has the name of Moses. With the exception of Jesus... No one in Scripture has more written about them as does Moses. It's almost as if Moses' name is, is synonymous with trusting in God. And yet, what we're going to talk about this morning is the time in Moses' life when he actually didn't quite trust in God. God is trying to get Moses to give him a yes, and Moses keeps coming up with a bunch of no's. Until, that is... God makes him an offer he can't refuse. So open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. I want to walk through the story of God calling Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. And it's a fascinating story in and of itself. But I think it's even a more powerful story when we start thinking about the places that God is sending us and the things that God is asking us to do. You know, we, we pretty well know the story of Moses, right? I mean, he's Moses. We're certainly familiar with Moses as a, a little child, a, a baby. Pharaoh's idea of planned parenthood was to murder all of the baby Hebrew males. But if you remember, Moses' mother protects him. In fact, she hides him. And when she can't hide him any longer, she puts him in a basket, puts him in the Nile where Pharaoh's daughter finds him. Moses is raised in royalty. It's a beautiful story. And then we know about Moses as the deliverer. Moses is the man who goes before Pharaoh on God's behalf and demands that he let God's people go. It's Moses that God uses to rain down ten plagues on Egypt. Moses is the one who leads the people out of Egypt, crosses the Red Sea on dry land, He's the one who meets God on the mountaintop, brings back the, the Ten Commandments. It's an amazing story. But in between 
the beautiful beginning and the powerful end, there's a time in Moses' life where he's pretty much a normal guy. Between the beautiful beginning and the powerful end, there's a time in Moses' life where, believe it or not, he's a lot like you and I. He's a guy that has some doubts. He's a guy who has some insecurities. He's a guy who has some trust issues. He's a man who says, can't I just stay hidden in my own little world, doing my own little thing? Can't I just go about life like I've always gone about life? Can't I just stay right in my comfort zone and do what I want to do? Moses is actually going to use five different excuses to give to God when God is trying to get a yes out of Moses. And Moses keeps coming up with these excuses to say no. Reasons why he's just trying to convince God, God, you got the wrong guy for this job. You know, 3,500 years later, we're still pretty much using the same lame excuses. I'm not sure that human nature has really changed all that much. Exodus 3, though, opens with God speaking to Moses in a miraculous fashion. He's speaking from a burning bush, instructing Moses to go to Pharaoh, demand that the Israelites be set free. And Moses' first excuse is this. Oh, I could never do that, God. Moses' first excuse is, you talking to me? Exodus chapter 3, verse 9. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. Moses' first excuse is, I can't do that. Who am I? Hey, God, have you not been paying attention? For the past 40 years, I've been a goat herder. Now, what you're asking me to do, that is way out of my league. That is way above my head. That is way out of my pay scale. You need to find somebody a little bit more qualified, God, to do what you're asking to do. You need to find somebody more capable, because I can't do that. You ever find yourself saying the exact same thing to God? Oh, no, I could never do that. I, I, I could never talk to someone about Jesus. I could never brag about Jesus and all the great things he's done in my life. It'd be too awkward. It would be too difficult. Oh, I could never volunteer to you know, serve in some ministry or to help out in some way. No, no, I couldn't do that. I couldn't ask some co-worker if I could pray with them about a, a problem that they're going through. No. I could never pray with my wife. No, I just couldn't do that. But when we say, I can't do that, God says, but I'm going to be with you. Verse 12, right off the bat, at the very beginning of this whole conversation that God has with Moses, he makes it very clear, Moses, I am not leaving you out to dry. I'm not just putting you out there all by yourself. I'm going to be with you. He makes it really clear at the very beginning, don't trust in yourself, trust in me. I'm going to be with you. But Moses isn't quite so quick to trust. 
He's got another issue. And his second issue is, they're going to ask hard questions. They're going to ask questions that I'm not going to be able to answer. You know, of all the excuses that Moses is sort of throwing out to God, personally for me, this is the one that maybe carries the most weight. This is the one that sometimes I want to fall back on. Oh, they're going to ask me things that I'm not going to be able to answer. But really, isn't that kind of a cop-out? Isn't that really Moses saying, I don't know enough? Because aren't we always supposed to be growing in knowledge and growing in truth? Take a look at Exodus chapter 3, verses uh, 13 through 15, maybe. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. Moses' complaint is, his excuse is, they're going to ask questions that I'm not going to be able to answer. They're not going to believe me when I say that I've I've had a conversation with you. But again, God is making it really clear. I want my people to understand that I care about them. I don't want my people to think I'm some distant God who doesn't know what's going on. I want them to know that collectively they're my people. But Moses is looking for a loophole. You know, I don't think I can convince them of what you're trying to tell me. I don't think they're going to listen to me when I tell them that you're in this. I'm afraid I'm going to get stumped. They're going to ask hard questions. And then, God, I'm going to make you look bad. I'm going to undermine you because I don't know the answers to their questions. Instead of us sometimes boldly sharing Jesus, instead of us just telling people, just in conversation, no, man, Jesus is real in my life. He's really blessed me today. Instead of doing that, we hide behind all these unasked questions that paralyze us with fear. What if they ask questions that I can't answer? What if? What if? What if they ask about predestination? What if they ask about uh, Calvinism? What if they ask me to quote the book of Revelation backward in Greek? I don't know enough. I can't answer the questions they're going to ask. Let me share this from me to you. And this is just me. Maybe your experience is different, but I seriously doubt it. I have never in my life, and I'm a pretty old guy, I have never in my life initiated a conversation about God or about Jesus and had someone reply to me, okay, well, how does the book of Mark really end? Or what's the unpardonable sin? Or who really is the Antichrist? I have never had those questions. Not once. Now, I've talked about those things with people, but it's always people who've spent a lot of time in God's Word and we're just sort of digging together. No one that I've ever initiated a conversation with has ever asked me personally any of those kinds of questions. 
But you know the questions they do ask? I am really struggling with my marriage. Does the Bible say anything about that? I'm really having problems with my teenage kids. You got any advice? I am really lonely. You know, I, I really would like a place to fit and a place to belong. I would like to think that my life means something. Do you think God might be involved in any of that? And by the way, those aren't easy questions either. Those are hard questions. But the people who are asking those questions, they're not looking for somebody who's got the, all this uh, incredible Bible knowledge and can solve some theological debate. They're not looking for the guy who can run the Bible category on Jeopardy. That's not what they're looking for. They don't care about that stuff. What they're looking for is someone who can show them authentic Christianity. What they're looking for is someone who can just walk along beside them and let them know that they care about them and let them know that God cares about them and, and to show them Jesus. You know, our job is to connect people to Jesus. That old saying, no one cares how much you know till they know how much you care. It is so true. In Exodus chapter 3, I don't think Moses is really looking to the, for the answer to questions as much as he's looking for a way to weasel out of the responsibility that God is giving him. You know, when we say, they're going to ask hard questions. When Moses said, they're going to ask hard questions. God's reply is, I can take care of the hard questions. God's reply is, I am the answer. But, Moses isn't quite ready to give in just yet. He's got another excuse. I can't make a difference. It's kind of Moses' attitude. I, I can't make a difference. Look at the next chapter. Chapter 4, verse 1, Exodus. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What's that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took, it, took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may, they, they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. God gives Moses this miraculous sign. Throw your staff on the ground. What's it become? It becomes a snake. Pick it back up. It's a staff again. You keep reading, there's some other signs that God gives Moses. Stick your hand in your cloak. Pull it out. It's leprous. Put it back in. Pull it out again. It's whole. Take some water from the Nile. Pour it on the ground. It turns into blood. God is going out of his way to prove to Moses and to prove to the people that he is involved in this process, that he is involved in a major way. God is going out of his way to convince Moses, you can make a difference. You can make a difference again because I'm going to be with you. So instead of being a, a, a spectator, you can be a participant. You know, so often we kind of think, well, what can I do? I'm just one person. Really, what can one person do? But I would challenge you 
to think of any ministry that this church or your church, any church you've ever been a part of, think of any ministry that didn't begin with one person saying, what if? What if we tried this? What if we did that? What if we rethought the way we do our education program? What if we rethought how we connect and serve the community? What if we came up with different ways to tell our story, to be a witness for Jesus? What if we supported a mission work? What if? You know, at this point in Moses' story, he's starting to find out God is a really hard person to say no to. God is relentless in his pursuit of Moses. He just keeps talking. He, he just keeps uh, knocking. He's proving himself to Moses. He says, Moses, you can make a difference because I'm going to be with you. You know, I would hate to get to heaven and have God tell me, you know, Tim, there was this really big thing, important thing that I, I wanted you to do, and I was so disappointed when you told me no. And I say, wait a minute, God, I don't remember you ever asking me to do that big thing. I don't remember you ever approaching me with, with that kind of big opportunity. And he might very lovingly say, well, technically, you were just two yeses away from it. But when you said no to that small thing, well, I knew there was no sense asking you to do this big thing. You've been faithful over small things. I'll put you in charge of much. That's how God says it works. You know, we think it's the big things that have the most impact. But it always starts with the small things. They say, I, I can't make a difference. God says, I'll be the difference. I am the difference. If you remember back, those of you who are old enough, if you remember back to the original Rocky movie, not all the 27 movies that have come since, but, but the original Rocky, it's the best one by far, but there's a character in that movie named Polly. You remember Polly's kind of this insensitive goon. Uh, he works in a meatpacking plant, and his, his dream job is to be a, a debt co collector for a loan shark. And Polly can't figure out why Rocky uh, is wanting to date his sister, Adrian. And they're having a conversation one day, and Polly says, I don't get it, Rock. I mean, I don't get it. What's the attraction? And Rocky says to Polly, uh, you know, I don't know, it's, uh, it's gaps. And Polly says, gaps? What do you mean gaps? I mean uh, gaps, you know, gaps. I got gaps, she got gaps. Together, we kind of fill each other's gaps. It's my Sylvester Stallone impression, by the way. A lot of people see their relationship with God that way. You know, God comes along and he gives me a little boost when I need it. God comes along and he supplements my efforts. And God comes along and, and he kind of augments my efforts. That's a great line in a movie. That is really poor theology, though. Remember, Jesus told his apostles in John 15, I am the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he'll bear much fruit. 
apart from me, he can do... And I know Daryl Berry just shouted out what Jesus said. But maybe you don't know what Jesus said in that passage. Let me tell you what Jesus didn't say. Jesus did not say, If you remain in me and I in you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do some things. And he didn't say, Apart from me, you can do a little bit of good. What Jesus said was, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Absolutely nothing. Let me let you in on a really important piece of information here. Yes, you got gaps. God does not have gaps. We don't do a little bit, God does a little bit, and it's a beautiful thing. Absolutely not. God is the difference. God doesn't make up the difference. It's all God. And yet, Moses still can't bring himself to say yes to God. So he's got excuse number four, if you're keeping track at home. And this time it's, well, that's just not me. That's not my thing, God. That's, that's not my uh, gift. Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, O oh Lord, I'm just not a good speaker. I never have been, and I'm not now. Even after you've spoken to me, I'm clumsy with words. Moses comes to God and he says, You know, God, some people have a way with words. Other people not have ways. And that's me. I'm just not a good public speaker. I can't be your guy. No one told me there was going to be public speaking involved in this challenge. No, you're going to have to find someone else because it's not my gift. You know, surveys tell us that the number two fear for adults is death. That's number two. You know what the number one fear for adults is? Survey after survey bears this out. Speaking in public. Which goes back to the old Seinfeld gig. You know, at a funeral, the guy, people would rather be the guy in the coffin than the one giving the obituary. But Moses is afraid to speak in public. Moses is saying, God, that's not my gift. I wonder if God ever gets tired of hearing us say, that's not my gift. Because we are so quick to play that card, aren't we? Anything that's outside our comfort zone, anything that might stretch us a little bit, anything that's a little bit different than what we've always done, we are very quick to say, well, that's not my gift. No, you prayer warriors, that's your gift. That's not my gift. You people who are so good at you know, bringing Jesus up in conversation, that's your gift. That's not my gift. You, you people who are so good at encouraging other people, that's a great gift. Of course, it's not my gift. Could you imagine going to God and saying, hey God, let me tell you what my gifts are. <laughs> God's like, I know what your gifts are. I'm the one who gave you those gifts. God, I'm not really wired that way. I know how you're wired. I'm the one who wired you. And I wouldn't be asking you to do this if I hadn't already empowered and equipped you to do it. 
God's not going to ask or expect us to do anything that He's not going to be with us while we're doing it. God's trying to force Moses to leave his comfort zone, to trust Him. And by this point, Moses is pretty much out of excuses. So he just decides, I'm just going to resort to honesty. And he finally tells God, okay, I don't want to. I just don't want to do it. Look at verse 13. But Moses said, O Lord, please, send someone else to do it. Just send someone else. I don't want to do it. And by this time, God has just about had it with Moses' excuses. Let me read for you uh, verses 14 and 15. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak, and I will teach you what to do. Moses kind of comes to God and finally says, you know, that's it, God. Thanks, but no thanks. I don't really have any other excuses other than just, I don't want to do it. Have you ever told God that? You probably haven't verbalized it, but you ever just decided, no, I don't want to do that. You know, God, your timing could not be worse. You know, I'm looking for a new job. I, I can't take this on. God, you know that I can't help anyone out financially. I'm barely making ends meet. You know that. God, I can't volunteer for one more thing. I can't get involved in one more person's life. Man, my schedule is so chaotic as it is. No, I don't want to do that. What must that statement sound like to the God who knows how many hairs are on your head? You think God ever just shakes his head and says, wait a minute, you're telling me I got the wrong person? What I'm asking you to do, are you telling me I got the wrong person? Aren't you the one who said you were going to commit your life to me? Aren't you the one who said I was going to be the Lord of your life? Aren't you the one who, who sit in the pew on Sundays and close your eyes and sing so loudly, You are my all in all. Well, yeah, but I don't want to do that. Remember, God is not going to ask you to do something that He's not going to help you accomplish. And He wouldn't ask you to do it if He didn't already know you were gifted to do it. You know what I used to tell my kids when I told them to do something, they said, I don't want to do it? I told them the same thing you parents tell your kids. Do it anyway. <laughs> Just go do it. You know, Moses is really kind of acting like a whiny little kid here. I don't want to do it. I can't do that. Get someone else. You shouldn't have asked me to do this. I can't do that. I can't do that. I'm not smart enough. Now, maybe the reason why so many people say no to God is because we're so convinced that, I think my way's better. Now, again, we would never say that, 
But I, I think sometimes we sort of think to ourselves, I'm not sure God really understands this situation the way I understand this situation. And, and so we don't trust God, we, we doubt God, because we think our way is better. But before I wrap up this morning, I, I want you to notice some things about this conversation God has with Moses. And I want you to notice what God doesn't say to Moses in this conversation. God never does uh, throw some Tony Robbins kind of self-promotion, kind of, you know, uh, you-can-do-it kind of stuff on Moses. He never does come to Moses and say, come on, Moses, you're being too hard on yourself. you got lots of leadership skills. No, Moses, you're smart. People are going to listen to you because, well, they like you. No, Moses, uh, you're a great public speaker, absolutely. He doesn't say any of those things to Moses. Because God knows it's not going to be through human power. It's not going to be through human courage. It's not going to be through human effort that Pharaoh is going to let two million of his workforce who work for him for free walk out the door. God knows if this is going to happen, it's going to be the power of God that does it. You know, uh, the great I am is the only one who can pull off this massive miracle of, of biblical proportion. It never really was about Moses. It was always about God. It's really not about you. It's not about me. It's about God, who recognizes our doubts and recognizes our inadequacies. And he's trying to transform us. He's trying to lead us. He's trying to challenge us into someone who trusts him. And that's what happens to Moses, and I think it really happens right here at the burning bush. This is a pivotal time in the life of Moses. Because Moses is finally going from someone who says, no, 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 no. Before he finally says, God, I'm going to trust in you. And when Moses finally trusted in God, he got a front row seat to some of the most amazing things that have ever happened in human history. There is absolutely nothing more exciting than saying yes to God and then stepping back and watching God go to work. And that's what God wants to do in your life. It's what he wants to do in my life. But we've got to make a decision. And the decision we have to make is I am convinced God knows what he's doing. I am convinced that God understands what's going on in my life. I'm convinced that he loves me enough that he wants the best for me. And I'm convinced that as high as the heavens are above the earth, his ways are higher than mine. I'm convinced God knows what he's doing, and I'm going to trust him. This morning, are you going to trust God? Or are you just going to keep making excuses? Let's close with a prayer. Father, we are so very good at coming up with excuses. We're so good at convincing ourselves that really all we can do is uh, all we can do. And we never remind ourselves that uh, we serve an all-knowing, all-powerful God. So help us to look beyond our doubts and our insecurities. Help us to trust the God of Abraham, 
the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Father, help us to trust the great I Am. It's in your Son's name I pray. Amen.